G'day everyone, welcome to another edition of Wrestling All Style with Mr. Alex Freddie Williams and myself, Mr. Chris Funderhog. Alex, how are you today? I have watched a lot of wrestling in the past 48 hours. Um, not much of it was very good. <laughs> um, you haven't watched Extreme Rules yet, so... Uh, I won't spoil it for you, except for, except for the fact that... It lived that, up to uh, its tagline? <laughs> the horror show? Ooh, it, it was definitely a... It was a horrible <laughs> show. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Myself, uh, again, working hospitality, so I haven't seen that one. I'm going to be watching that one shortly after this. But, Alex, you actually put down some money for... Um, Impact, so how much was it on the fight app in Australian? Uh, nefarious means. <laughs> <laughs> Impact, TNA, GFW, NWA, TNA, what, FML, FML, Destination America, <laughs> Pop TV, Spike. Um, I can keep going. Um, they've scorned me so much over the years that even though I had a pretty good feeling that it was going to be a good show on, well, Saturday, uh, Sunday over here, I still couldn't muster up the courage to pay money to watch Impact. It's, it's not a good thing. I don't recommend it for anyone out there, but... Yeah, I, I watch via nefarious means, and um, oh boy, oh boy, it was um, to quickly like uh, I'm not going to give a in depth rundown, but you kick off the show with the Rascals Open Challenge, which is pretty cool. You get the big surprise of the Motor City Machine Guns returning. Um, that was awesome. Uh, the guns still have it and they get a big win there and then they do this absolute uh, cluster F of a 10, 11, 12 woman bloody Royal Rumble type match. Oh, oh the gauntlet for the gold. So we were debating on this on the last show in our little bonus section after the news. Um, when I didn't about... know I was recorded. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes my lawyers are still going over that paperwork um <laughs> now um we weren't sure what the actual rules were here whether it was a royal rumble whether it was um one person comes in pinned or submit and then they go and the next person comes so um explain to the humans what the actual uh method of this match was so it was a royal rumble over the top rope eliminations until there's two people left, and then they just have a regular match. <laughs> so Tyre Valkyrie and Rosemary have some, like, lackey dude thing called Johnny Bravo. Does he look like the Cartoon Network guy? No. So, like, I think the whole gimmick was that they're on, that they were on the Bravo Network or something, and, ah, uh, and he was like, he was a part of a faction with, like, Tyre and Johnny Impact before he went to the WWE. But anyway, 
they're like, oh, help, help Tyre win. Nah, help Rosemary win, blah, blah, blah. So they waste two entrance spots on this one dude who came out dressed. First, he comes out dressed as Tyre Valkyrie and then pretty much immediately gets eliminated. And then the next entrant is Tyre Valkyrie. Like, okay, what did that achieve? What, like the very next person? She might have been like one, maybe two spots later, but it wasn't much. Oh, jeez. And then Rosemary comes out, and the last entrant of this whole thing is this Johnny Bravo dude, once again, except he's dressed as Rosemary. And they have this uh, big monster of a chick in the ring called Havoc, Jessica Havoc. Yeah, she used to be on Impact a number of years ago. And she's been the big monster in this rumble, like pretty much having the... Uh, having the Diesel, the Kane spot from the Rumble, just eliminating heaps of people, all that sort of stuff, just for her to get eliminated by this dude dressed up as Rosemary. Like, did other people, like, push her over the top rope, or was it just him? It was just him. Okay. Like, was it taken as a serious angle that she's probably going to fight him or was it more of a comedy thing no by the end of the match you you barely even remember it happened the only reason i remember it happening is because i just listened to the post wrestling review on it i'm still scratching my head about it yeah absolutely ridiculous and i don't understand the point like why he had to come out twice i don't understand why he had to be in the match at all there was also a chick in there called Susie, and it took me forever. Oh, no, it was after the show that I went on Twitter and I realised, like, people on Twitter talking about how Susie is, like, the alter ego of Sue Young. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that would have been good if commentary had explained that to me. So who was on commentary for this? Uh, good old Josh Matthews. Um... Hmm. Uh, reject shot Michael Cole. Um, <laughs> Didn't he spend years under the learning tree of Jim Ross? Oh. Or was that Striker? Oh, I don't know. Um, both are trash, if you ask me. <laughs> um, if I could be frank for a minute. Uh, Don Callis was the colour commentator, and I actually enjoy Don Callis's work. Um, How does he compare to his New Japan time is he just as good or is he sort of phoning it in in impact oh he's pretty much just as good i would say a commentator is can only be about as good as the product they're calling and quite frankly um it wasn't the best show (laughs) so i've seen a few fans um say online like josh was talking up uh kylie ray being in the women's match for, like, a really, really long time, and it turned out she hadn't even been in there for, like, ten minutes yet. Yeah. Don Callis said, like, compared um, Kylie Ray to Ric Flair's performance in the 1992 Royal Rumble. <laughs> what? And, and at that point, she had been in the match for 11 minutes. Is this on air, he said that, or afterwards on Twitter? On air, he he said Kylie Ray's performance reminds him of 
Ric Flair in a similar style match. Um... So, you know, it doesn't take too much effort to figure out what is referencing there. But... Oh, man. When you've got the daughter of Ric Flair in a Rumble match for, I think, the last one she was in, maybe 20, 30 minutes at least, and you're comparing this person who's been in 10 minutes to the Ric Flair, right? Oh, my gosh. Actually, one highlight of the match is um, is Kylie Ray. Like, she's fantastic, actually. Um, so she's like this whole smiley Kylie. She's a nice person. She, she likes to, like, shake hands with people and be all friendly and all that sort of stuff. Every time she eliminated someone, she would, like, cover her mouth and then be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> And, like, apologise to every person that she eliminated. And I thought that was fantastic. What other highlights or lowlights were there on the uh, Slammiversary card? There was, like, a 15-minute that felt like two hours Moose versus Tommy Dreamer. Oh, it was just, like, two guys hitting each other in the head with weapons in front of zero people making it making me feel completely uncomfortable and being like, yeah, you guys don't need to be doing this to each other with no crowd. Come on. Moose is a star though. He's got something. Does he have a manager? He needs a manager. He does. Do you remember our last chat about Moose's manager? Oh, what did I I say? You said he should get King Kong Bundy. Oh my God. What is wrong with me? Oh, that's right. He's 73 and dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, he should, though. (laughs) Is it like... Harvey Whippleman. Give him Harvey Whippleman if if he's still alive. I think he is. This is going to show my viewing of TNA. Does Kenny King still work there, or is he now back with ROH? I think he's been in ROH for a few years now. Yeah, it's just because everything's off at the moment. My brain's not processing everything completely (laughs) but i think he'd be a good fit for moose yeah moose is sort of he works by himself but it'd be good if he had like a real scrawny like crap talking uh manager like a like if malcolm bivens was still on the indie scene that'd be perfect or if um uh, i don't know there's not even many managers there (laughs) out there is there but um not notable ones that are are sort of free agents yeah yeah i think like like if there was a time machine a young jim Cornette with a moose would have been perfect but um that's as much as i feel like talking about jim Cornette. (laughs) yeah so moose is good um what else happened so after the moose match the feed cuts out for a little bit. TNA, TNA. This cut out on yours as well. <laughs> it was cut out uh, on my feed. It was cut out uh, apparently on the fight stream as well, according to Twitter. And apparently while that was happening, uh, someone jumps into the ring. Heath. Just Heath now. Not Slater. Just Heath. 
and he goes to cut a promo and my feed's back. And the poor bugger's microphone isn't working. Oh, <laughs> uh, is he just still going to be playing that sad soul who didn't get drafted in the foot, like the first re-split of the brands? That's what it looked like. He, he's a free agent, blah, blah, blah. He cut, cut a fairly upbeat promo, and then he's like, I want to be put into the main event. And then some guy called Rohit something rather walks out and and says, oh, you don't deserve to be here in Impact. How'd you go the last time you faced a world champion? You got beat in seconds, referencing the, when he got pinned by Drew a couple of weeks back. Oh, yeah, they'll really put the bums in the seats. Yeah, so then Heath just beats the crap out of him. Later on, you get a backstage segment of Heath reuniting with Rhino, which I thought was actually pretty cool. And then Scott Demore comes out and he's like, Heath, you're not a part of this company and this is a closed set because it's a pandemic. Can you please leave? So he's like, yep. And then Rhino's like, come to Impact on Tuesday. Uh, I got a plan. So I suppose I'll ask now that you've mentioned the um the pandemic word, how were they handling um things like, I know Callis um, before in New Japan was wearing a mask when he was shot on the commentary commentary desk but like were any of the camera operators or anyone else ringside like wearing masks i didn't notice but also um they didn't have a crowd like there was it was literally an empty arena so um i feel like the need for a mask might be slightly less than the other companies. Yeah, fair, fair enough then. If they're not going to have anyone there, you're already eliminating a, a huge risk. Yeah. I suppose moving on to the, um, what was there, a tag title match and the uh, men's and women's titles? Yeah, so uh, what else happened? Um, yeah, tag titles, the North versus <sighs> Ken Shamrock and Sammy Callahan. You know what? I think there's a place in 2020 for Ken Shamrock. I think Impact's probably the right place for him. But he doesn't... He's not PCO. <laughs> like, stop trying to make him do, like, crazy, like, high spots to get a pop out of, like, look at this old man do crazy things. Pretty much to the way that PCO's made a living in modern wrestling. Ken Shamrock's not PCO. Don't... Don't book him like that. So you said you saw that clip. Um, it's it's not great. Yeah, the the one where he's going to dive onto the people outside and they're like standing in the corner behind the ring steps and he still goes to do a suicide dive to no one. Yeah, I've seen that on Twitter. That was not good booking. <laughs> no. I will say, like, in ring though, he's still he's still got a... He's still got a bit to give there. Um, his belly-to-bellies are still just a work of art. Um, you and I both grew up in an era where Ken Shamrock was one of the, not a top guy, but like one of the focused characters in wrestling at the time we were falling in love with wrestling. and um, IC champ? Yeah, IC champ, Ken Shamrock. The Lion's Den match? Yeah, all that sort of stuff. Like his feud with Owen, um, 
him being a part of the corporation and all that sort of stuff. The better rock. Oh my god, yeah, his feud with the rock. Um, him winning King of the Ring in 98. Jeez, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Everyone sort of forgets about that. Yeah. And, like, he's not a case of, like, like a Billy Gunn, like a King of the Ring that went on to do nothing. Like, he's a King of the Ring that went on to, like, be IC champ and all that sort of stuff and then just quit the company and just never came back. I think Ken Shamrock is one of the most underrated of all time. Would you like to see him in a blood sport next year if blood sport could run? Honestly, I would, as much as I don't even like the idea of Saudi Arabia shows, I want the Prince of Saudi Arabia to book Ken Shamrock versus Brock Lesnar. That's what I want in my life. And it doesn't have to be more than three minutes. Yeah, now I'm intrigued by that. <laughs> Both UFC champions. Yeah, it, it writes itself. Both with time in Japan, Shamrock with Pride and um, Pancrase and Brock with New Japan. Both pretty much like got sick of wrestling, so just disappeared from it for a while. Damn you, <laughs> now I really want that match. Yeah, but also... Uh, Bloodsport is a great idea, and give me Ken Shamrock versus Minoru Suzuki at Bloodsport. <laughs> oh, I still want Suzuki and Cassidy. I I, I do want that too. Um, Shamrock. I'd I'd really like to see him against Mox. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Um, I would say like a Josh Barnett or something, but they've probably actually had an MMA fight. <laughs> Well, yeah, I can't think of anyone but Suzuki that I want to see him get in there with. Maybe another Japanese dad, like a a Yuji Nagata or something. Oh, Nagata. Or like a Kojima Tenzan. or something. Yeah, yeah Tenzan. Kojima. Kojima's got a little bit more left in his tank than Tenzan. Like, Tenzan looks like he's going to fall over just from the weight of his own massive head these days isn't kojima in charge of bread club he just loves bread he's got the most wholesome like twitter account <laughs> if you just like yeah you just hit that thing that says translate tweet and it's just like i had some bread today it was very good i'm gonna go wrestle now <laughs> it's so wholesome so moving from the world of fantasy and back to reality uh Overall, the uh, then the women's championship match. Oh, qu- quickly! Sorry, I forgot. Um, the North, Ethan Page and Josh Alexander, they are a fantastic tag team. And and um, after they get the win over Shamrock and Sammy Callahan, and I haven't even touched on Sammy Callahan. Um, I'm not a fan of him, to be honest. Oh, what was he in NXT? Um, Solomon Crow. Yeah, Solomon Crow. Yeah, I, I don't get it, but I've also not watched enough Impact with him in it to fully get it either. Uh, he appears to have been in a good paddock since the last time I saw him wrestle, but... Hey, it's it's a pandemic. A lot of people are stuck at home with their pantries, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for that one. <laughs> um, 
So after the match, the North are like, oh, we're the greatest tag team in TNA history and blah, blah, blah. Impact history, greatest tag team in the world. And then I was just like, oh, yeah, this is the bit where the tag team, the one in Saudi Arabia, the best tag team in the world tournament, are going to come out. So instead of getting Gallows and Anderson again... We get the Motor City Machine Guns again. And they're like, oh, we'll challenge you for the titles on Tuesday at Impact. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I'd be half interested in watching that match. Machine Guns match, yeah. Yeah, Machine Guns versus the North for the Impact tag titles. I keep going to say TNA. Yeah, you see my problem with it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the next match is the... Knockouts Championship, uh, Jordan Grace defending against Diona Perazzo. And boy, was this a match. Oh, I think there was an X Division match before that at some point, too. Uh, the X Division title between Willie Mack and Chris Bay. And that was a fantastic match with Chris Bay getting a win. Wow. And, um, yeah, Chris Bay's your new X-Division champion. And then we have Diona Perrazzo beating Jordan Grace for the Knockouts title. So we've got a new Knockouts champion as well. And, geez, those girls put on a clinic. Fantastic match. I didn't expect her to win, especially after you were saying on the um, the last show in that little bonus we tacked on after the news that um, you weren't expecting Diana to win. No, I, I um, had heard things like she, she was only on a short-term deal with Impact that pretty much covered her until the pay-per-view and then she was going to suss out her options elsewhere. But I guess in this current climate, there re- really isn't that many options out there. So... She's just going to stay put at impact for a bit, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it's it's better to be paid working than not paid and not working. Yeah, exactly. And um, Jordan Grace is a star. Like, she's so good. And Diona Perrazzo, like, tech is up the bazoo. Um, yeah, she's phenomenal. And, yeah, those girls definitely match the night. And, yeah, so they've got an incredibly deep knockouts division. But, geez, that rumble thing at the start did not did not show the people how good their division is. But, thankfully, their title match did. And then, speaking of title matches, let's quickly get to this main event so we can actually talk about the show that we're actually meant to be talking about. And, um... Yeah, so out comes Trey and then Ace Austin with Madman Fulton, the former Sawyer Fulton from Sanity back in the day. Poor Sanity. Yeah. Yeah, The only real surviving lingering part of Sanity is Nikki Cross's outfit and theme song. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It... If um, I was to have a look at the Saturday roster, for, uh, the Saturday group from all those years ago and said, 
which ones would still have a job in the company a few years later, I definitely wouldn't have picked Alexander Wolf over um, Eric Young, that's for sure. Damo? Oh, what's he now? Um... Killian Dane. Uh, um, I thought he was good, but I haven't seen too much of it. So, I don't know, maybe he's lost a step, but whatever he's doing isn't quite clicking for me. So who else was in the championship match, sorry? Yeah, Ace Austin, we had Madman Fulton in his corner, you got Trey, and then out comes Eddie Edwards. Who's the fourth man? And out comes Rich Swan on his crutches, and he throws away the crutches showing that he's no longer injured, and the entire wrestling world collectively slapped their faces and put their palms over their eyes, screaming, what the hell are you guys doing? Because I remember saying to you, what happens if they put Moose in that main event because they've already got everyone's $30, and you said, yeah, that'd be a real WCW thing to do. They won't do that. Yeah, and, oh boy. But then he gets in the ring and some music starts playing. And a surprise fifth entrant in the match. Old Super Eric himself, Don't Fire Eric. Uh, EY, Eric Young, makes his return. And he cuts a little promo. It's a five-way match now. A few years ago, he won his only TNA championship at Slammiversary, and he's going to do it again today. And then the bell rings. A few minutes later, Eric Young pins Trey. And I'm like, oh, that's a quick match. And then the announcers say Trey has been eliminated. And I was like, well, that would have been a handy bit of information to have known before the match because they never referenced once that it was an elimination match. Yeah, because when we are reading through the, the card on uh, the last podcast in our bonus section, it was four men with one to be announced in a um, four-way match for the championship. So all of a sudden it became an elimination match. Yeah, an elimination five-way. Then... Eric Young is dominating the match and Rich Swan rolls him up and Eric Young is eliminated. Then Eric Young goes absolutely crazy and like pretty much re-breaks Rich Swan's leg. And then Ace Austin does the heelish thing and rolls up with Rich Swan. Rich Swan's eliminated, and it's down to Eddie Edwards and Ace Austin. A little back and forth. Eddie Edwards is your new Impact Wrestling Champion, and after the match, Madman Fulton comes down and starts beating up Eddie Edwards, and out come the Good Brothers. Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson make the save for Eddie they tease that they're going to join up with Ace Austin and Fulton, but they just beat the crap out of them, and they share a few beers with Eddie Edwards. And then quickly the screen goes black, and we see EC3 in a 
bricked room sort of thing and he's got a glass of whiskey in his hand and he's very angry and he's got a evil guy facial hair thing going on and he throws his whiskey at the brick wall and turns around and that's the end of the show with a bit of a cliffhanger there with ac3 which was pretty cool but uh, they promised a lot of surprises and <laughs> Sting. Where was they, Sting? <laughs> they teased Sting. They teased Kurt Angle. Um, oh, someone like slowed it down, and they shown like little clips of um. There was like clips of Naito from his one TNA <laughs> appearance in there. I'm like. You guys seriously try to bloody tease Tetsuya Naito traveling from Japan to America right now? God. And here, um, here we were saying they weren't going to be WCW and use bad tactics now. They've got everyone's money. Yeah, well. Um, um I'm, I'm still probably going to keep an eye out. I might watch the next episode of Impact. But, geez, this was a. This was just a letdown. They promised us so much. They lit. The tagline for the whole show was, the world is going to change. (laughs) Here you go. Uh, Here's Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin and Heath Slater. Hey, I like (laughs) two of those guys. Yeah, oh, well, Chris Saban is a former TNA chair. I guess we can give Alex Shelley a title run now. Um, yeah, they promised the world, and geez, we barely got we barely got a house, let alone the world. Um, <laughs> uh, was yeah, it worth I, the price? <laughs> It wasn't worth what I paid for it. <laughs> it wasn't worth nah, your free time. <laughs> that's a, nah, that's been harsh. There was actually some great matches on there. The X Division title match and the women's title match, the knockouts title match. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, yeah, I'm glad I didn't pay for it because I... I would have left the show feeling a little disappointed, especially when, like, on their TV show, they teased aces and eights, and I kind of wanted the cringe factor of just, like, this crappy faction from five years ago to come back. Oh, man. Especially with Bully Ray being a free agent right now and Carl, uh, not Carl Anderson, Ken Anderson being a free agent and bringing in Doc Gallows, you could have easily have done an Aces and Eights reunion. You already got D-Lo. Yeah. Oh, man. man. There's rumours going around that apparently it was meant to be Rusev as the mystery fourth man. Uh, apparently Rusev was meant to be winning the title. So they decided to chuck in two people because they'll bring out Rich Swan. People will be a little bit disappointed by that. So then they'll bring out Eric Young and 
and that will make Eric Young seem a little bit less disappointing than if Eric Young had just come out by himself. Uh, like, I suppose by comparison, you're making him seem slightly um, better. But if they hadn't promised the world and had have just done subtle teasers, like even if you had a like um, I don't know, like. I think on their Impact show, they still air, like, Classic Match of the Week. Yeah. So if you had done, like, Classic Match of the Week with a bunch of the WWE free agents without specifically saying these guys will be here, it might have been better. You know how pumped up I was for this Slammiversary show? I was legitimately excited for it. I actually went back and watched the Go Home episode of Impact for... before this show right oh wow that is dedication yeah and they did air a classic match of the week and it was a match with chris saban winning the x division title and i was like oh they should bring back the machine guns and that happened so i was like oh that's a good bit of telegraphing by them it's not too on the it's not too obvious but it sort of it's sort of a good way of sort of teasing and like hyping up someone coming in by just showing a good match they had back in the day for years. Like how many EC3 matches would you have access to and different yeah. things like that? You... Like Eric Young, Jesus. Like, yeah. I, oh, you don't have, um, I don't think they have any Carl Anderson history, but they could show a bit of Doc. Yeah. Um, they could show his, uh, I don't know if you even remember, he had a match on Impact once against Mike Knox, and it was just, oh, oh my God, it was horrible. <laughs> but yeah, you could have done a bit with that. The same Mike Knox who used to be Kelly Kelly's boyfriend? Yeah, Kelly Kelly's abusive boyfriend that oh, geez. Uh, CM Punk saved her from that relationship. <laughs> in in a future show we're going to be doing, we're going to be talking a little bit about 2006 ECW. Oh, man. And I, I've already started watching a little bit of One Night Stand 06, and it reminded me that... ECW One Night Stand 06 actually got me back into wrestling after a little break. And I, weird as weird as it sounds, I only watched ECW for the first three months of that being a show. So I was like super invested in like Mike Knox and Kelly <laughs> Kelly and oh, CM Punk and oh, Kevin Thorne. Um, Slammiversary. Overall for Slammiversary, how many beers are you giving this? I'm going to be nice because there was two really good matches on it. I'll give it two and a half beers. Um, Should anyone that hasn't seen it go out of their way to watch it? Probably not. You could probably live without it, but... But if you are going to go back and watch it, make sure you pay close attention to the X Division title match and the Knockouts title match. It's very, very good. Fair enough. I might even check out the Impact if I have any free time this week. Yeah, like I said, I'm probably going to watch it this week. Just, um, yeah, they've promised EC3s 
going to show up on there and they've, yeah, God knows what what his new direction's going to be. Yeah, so um, that that's Impact. Um, I haven't talked about Impact in a long time. Um, so I guess their mission was accomplished. They got my eyes back on the product. Whether they can... Well, I guess, like I said, I'm going to watch Impact this week, but... Give it a chance. But, jeez, they, they fumbled the ball a little bit. Fair enough. So from there, do you want to move on to the main event of sorts? Oh, Wacko Jacko? Yeah, yeah, Wacko Jacko. I'm looking forward to talking about Ted Witten. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um... From the world of Impact, we travel back to the 60s and 70s, what some refer to as the golden era of Australian wrestling. It's World Championship Wrestling Australia, the very best Volume 1 slam, uh, was released on VHS in 1998 from Channel 9 and runs for just over an hour. Um, Like you've said previously, Alex, you've got these at home as a kid. Yeah, I had one of them. I think it was, there was like slam, bam, wham, and there was like crush. And there's grunt. Yeah. And I think I had grunt. Like, I, I don't know why, but I did. Yeah, I, I watched it as a kid. Um, I'd never seen this one before, I don't think. So I was like, oh, yeah, you're making me re-watch this, blah, blah, blah. I did watch one on YouTube. It wasn't this one. Ah, very good. The one I watched on YouTube was either Wham or Bam. I don't know which one. Yeah, they're all sort of interchangeable, forgettable names for their volumes. So this starts off with Mark Jacko Jackson in a boxing ring somewhere with his shirt off. Um, So Jacko had played a total of 82 VFL senior games from 1981 until 1986, scoring 308 goals. He played for Melbourne, St Kilda and Geelong. He also played for the Richmond Reserve team in 1980, where he kicked 131 goals. So after every match, there's another clip of Jacko sort of setting up the next match. I suppose we can talk about now. What did you think of his involvement on this? Uh, it was generic. You know, like when, like a local, like RSL or something, like gets a wrestling show to come in, and they do like a a quick throw together cheap ad, and it's just like, come down to the local RSL to see some body slamming, pile driving. High flying off the top rope action this Saturday at the RSL. That's pretty much Jacko here. Yeah, hundred percent. He sort of he sort of adds nothing and sort of takes you away from the actual wrestling. And he's in this like little wrestling ring. It was definitely a boxing ring, um, and he's just like leaning on the top rope like bouncing back and forth repeatedly in his white wife beater, just, like, staring at the camera, rocking back, 
back and forth holding the rope. The ropes on this ring are just so loose. He's like leaning on the top rope and it's down to where the second rope should be. Yeah, you're definitely not going to be springboarding off those ropes. Personally, I felt this was the um definitely the wrong man for the job considering um later uh 10 years time there was another DVD released by uh, focusing on WCW in Australia, hosted by Ron Miller. And he had interviews on there with, um, like, Mario Milano and um, other Australian wrestlers at the time, and he went overseas and interviewed some of the Americans. I think someone like a, a Ron Miller or Mario Milano hosting these DVDs, like a sit-down sort of respectful tone to it, would have been a lot better than this. Seb Costello. That's your guy to host if you want to announce a voice for it. We've seen him do a bit with MCW. That's the guy you want. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree with the the Channel 9 affiliation there. That's actually a really good pick. Yeah, I I was actually thinking about it now. Like, as I was watching this, I was like, oh, if they were to do something like this today, who would be a good choice? And the choice is... Seb Costello, who would they probably choose? Carl Stefanovich or something, who knows? <laughs> Tracy Grimshaw. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be hilarious. If somehow you got to do a thing with Tracy Grimshaw, like interviewing a few wrestlers, oh, that'd be hilarious. In a current affair, like, yes. <laughs> like her interviewed her interviewing like Corey Worthington style, like <laughs> like Slex, could you take off your glasses, Slex? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no. Why is that? Because they're cool. People think it's sick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've just oh. compared Slex to Corey Worthington. <laughs> that, that's just wrong. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, so the first match was from Festival Hall in Melbourne. It was Mark Lewis and King Curtis versus Big Bad John and Bulldog Brower. As they start, the action's already underway. Bulldog is tangled in the ropes. Lewis goes to tackle him. Bulldog frees himself, and Lewis gets his neck hung in the ropes with the reps stopping the match. And as Lewis is removed, Bulldog stands on his neck with Bulldog and Big Bad John begin double-teaming King Curtis. Uh, They rip the referee's shirt off and begin to choke Curtis, who's cut on the head with the referee's shirt. And then Thunderbolt Patterson runs in from the back to chase away Bulldog and John. Uh, This took place in about four minutes. What did you think of this opening match? The crowd was into it. (laughs) Um, Thunderbolt Patterson, actually, like, I, I enjoyed him, like, how he did the run-in and all that, um, his punches, his, like, weird little sh- shimmy and shake he does and stuff, that was pretty cool, um, but yeah, not much of an impression left on me with this one. No, no, it was sort of, sort of just there, really. And this is your first match in your series of five DVDs that you're trying to sell. Yeah, and it's just like a four-minute portion of like the end of a match. A beatdown and a run-in. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, I didn't get it. So from there, there's another, 
like after every match, there's a bit of Jacko, which is just baffling, <laughs> to be honest. It's kind of hilarious just because of how like bad it is. But there's there's a little bit I'm going to talk about a little bit later after after the third match on the thing. I'm going to talk about a little story Jacko shares. So the second match again from Festival Hall in Melbourne: Spiros Aron versus Jack Briscoe for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Jack Briscoe is the champion. The ten pounds of gold and also. Jack Briscoe, one of the guys drafted in your fantasy league. Yeah, so this is actually the the first time that I've seen him wrestle. I'm sure I've seen this tape before. (laughs) I haven't seen it recently, I can tell you that, otherwise I wouldn't have chose it. (laughs) Too much Jacko. (laughs) (laughs) It's at this point where I'm, like, starting to get frustrated that they're not actually showing the dates that these matches are took place and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm sure if I, I sat down, I could sort of pin the um the time window, like with a Jack Briscoe NWA title reign. Yeah, it'd just be nice, like, in these sort of compilations that they just said, like, they put up a little graphic for, like, Spiros Arion versus Jack Briscoe, but they don't, like, put... And they put, like, the location of where it happened, but they don't put, like, what date it happened, so... Yeah, I, I think that would be good if they did that. But that was kind of a frustrating point for me. But um, as they start, there's a hard elbow smash and Jack is down early. As he gets up, he runs the ropes and knocks down the referee inadvertently. Spiros hits the atomic drop and covers the champion. He has a cover, but only gets a two count by the time the referee returns. Spiros hits a second atomic drop and the ref counts three. And as the crowd goes wild, the referee is waving it off because Jack's foot was on the bottom rope. Spiros kicks out of a small package, then reverses the abdominal stretch. Both men fall to their backs out of the corner, and it's a double knockdown and ruled a draw. Uh, went 4.29 airtime. So what I like about watching these old matches is... Like, the strikes they do, there's just a little something to them, like how they deliver, like, your elbows and your chops and your punches and all that. There's just a different look to it than there is in, like, modern-day wrestling, and there's, like, a little bit more pizzazz to it. And I kind of enjoy how old-school punches are thrown and all that. And... uh. There was definitely um, good chemistry between these two guys, but, yeah, it's really tough to enjoy these matches with 2020 eyes, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, watching what we watch on a weekly basis and then going back to this, it is quite a culture shock. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree. Um, For a short five-minute match that ends in a draw with a champion, I, I sort of enjoyed it. Yeah, it was definitely, it definitely wasn't bad at all. And the crowd at points here, like Spiros has him covered for the first time when the referee's on the outside, they're cheering, they're cheering. And when he gets the um the cover inside the ring and the ref's counted free, they go nuts. Yeah, it's insane. Um, yeah, it makes me really jealous. Like, I, like um, my dad went to a couple of wrestling shows back in the day at Festival Hall and 
few of my uncles used to go almost every month to a wrestling show at Festival Hall, and I, I would have killed to have been in the, the crowd for some of these matches, even if the matches aren't quite what we're used to today, just to be in this crowd who were just so invested in every little movement by these guys. Yeah, it would have been amazing. Yeah, so so I really enjoyed that. Going on to the third match from Festival Hall in Brisbane, it's Gorgeous George versus Andreas Lambruska. George disinfects the ring with perfume before the bell, and the match is contested under rounds. At the start of the match, Andreas touches George's hair and he protests. Uh, later on, Andreas has George in a chin lock and is warned for a chokehold. Andreas hits three Irish whips and rolls up George in the fourth round, where the score is now one apiece. In the fifth round, Andreas attacks the referee, and the match is called off, and the referee awards the win to Gorgeous George. Uh, went for 14 minutes, 23. Any thoughts here, Alex? I've never actually watched a Gorgeous George match before, so it was actually kind of cool to see someone who's like so revered for like, Pretty much bringing some flair to professional wrestling, bringing a bit of star, bringing a bit of sports entertainment to professional wrestling. Like, he is the godfather of it all. And I think this is towards the end of his career. But it was good to actually be able to get a chance to actually watch one of his matches. And um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the crowd's right into that. They were right into him. He was a heat magnet. So yeah, myself, I hadn't seen any of his matches before, and contested under rounds was um nice to see the Australian uh, here get a win in Andreas. So quickly... We go to another Jacko segment. <laughs> yeah, so do you remember what he says here? Uh, yeah, do you want me to say it out? <laughs> yeah, I, I would love it if he... Do you have transcript of it or something because i would have butchered it from memory so jacko's saying we go to tv ringside now with the legendary ed Whitten. i don't want to speak ill of the dead but teddy spent a bit too much time in the sun perfecting his tan yes but before that he quickly comments on the gorgeous george match and says gorgeous george reminds me of someone i I laid out on the footy training field one day. She never turned up to practice again. Like, pretty much implying that he knocked out a chick. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, whoa. But, yeah, like you said, this is 1998, probably 97 when it was filmed. Yeah. The the, the Ted Whitten one, I thought, was a bit weird. Where he's yeah, that was weird too. Like for anyone who knows um, Australian rules football, Ted Whitten, legendary figure at Footscray, um, pretty much the spirit of the Victorian uh, state of origin teams. He passed away of cancer, so <laughs> Jacko saying he doesn't want to speak ill of the dead and then saying he spent a bit too much time in the sun perfecting his tan. That was a bit odd. <laughs> Oh my god, I didn't even put two and two together on that one. Yeah, jeez, that's... Yeah. But he was right about his suit. I'll give him that. Yeah, that's that's why I took it to, to meaning his, <laughs> his tanned or very uh, 
Richie Benno-esque <laughs> suit. Yeah, um, I honestly had no idea Ted Whitten was involved with World Championship Wrestling or, like, a commentator at any point. And oh, really? Yeah, I, I didn't know. Um, okay, so once we're done recording, I'll have to send... I'll put out that um, Ted Whitten, uh, Andre the Giant clip that's on uh, YouTube. I'll put it out through our Twitter channel. Yeah, honestly, like... I know bits and pieces here and there of World Championship Wrestling Australia. Honestly, don't know too much. I've never watched like a full episode of the show. I don't even know if there are full episodes of a WCW Australia out there. But yeah, so I've never, I I never knew too much about the production aspect of it or the broadcast presentation. So seeing Ted Whitten as a part of it was a pretty big shock to me and it was very nice to see some color in this next match and i'm not talking about blood yeah so we move from black and white film into color film with a tv ringside sort of nwa studio set up here with the fourth match ox baker and brute bernard with their manager jj Dillon versus kevin martin and max tambula so we've got uh, J.J. Dillon outside for this one, a member of my fantasy roster. Yes, indeed. Um, so quickly, Martin gets a quick one count on Brute, and both men tag in their teammates. Uh, it's mentioned by Ed a number of times that Ox Baker's heart punch has been banned by the NWA at this time. Do you know much of Ox Baker and what his heart punch was? Yeah, I, I do, actually. I've said little bits here and there. Um, I owned a AWA documentary DVD, and he was featured a bit in there as well. Um, Ox Baker's the sort of guy that if you see him once, you're not going to forget his face, that's for sure. His outrageous eyebrows and the moustache and... The heart punch is such a simple thing, but it was over back in the day. So I'm just assuming it's a, a closed fist punch to the chest? Yeah, pretty much exactly that. Max gets a two count on Ox as Brute was tied in the ropes. Quick tags for Ox and Brute as they work over Max, and Ox hits a big elbow onto Max for the free count win 8.02 film time. Anything else to add here, Alex? Uh, this was a bit of a stock standard match. Yeah, I didn't think too much of it. I did find it weird seeing a young J.J. Dillon because J.J. Dillon's like kind of one of those guys like an Arn Anderson or something that like looks 45 for his entire life. Like, like Arn Anderson, like... He's like even like thirty years ago, he looked like he was an old man. <laughs> yeah, and JJ Dillon's always been one of those sort of guys. So like, geez, he must have been young here because he looked it, and I've never seen JJ Dillon look young before. Yeah, wow. Um, I thought you might have through some of the early um, was it uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling tapes or something. Yeah, and uh. Yeah, as you know, I've um, gone back through the network and watched a lot of the old Territory stuff, especially the Southern Territory stuff, and yeah, he is heavily featured on those. Yeah, I sort of enjoyed this. Um, Kevin did get a bit of um, 
time in the match as well, being a, the Aussie, so that was good there. Yeah, and Max Tambula from New Zealand, I think it was held from. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't jot that one down, sorry. So, yeah, good good, good showing. And I think that's sort of the, the overall story of WCW Australia is where the the Aussie guys would wrestle internationals, you know, have a good match and ultimately lose, as we're sort of seeing throughout this whole whole uh, tape. Yeah, um, and could that be a trip? Like, this is probably a deeper discussion for somewhere down the road, but could that be attributed as to why Australian wrestling pretty much disappeared after they lost their TV deal? Because they didn't really do a good good enough job building up local wrestlers. Um, probably yes and no. Because, like, you could you only get, out of the WCW era, you could probably only build a show around two or three Australian guys, maybe. Like Yamaro Milano's, um, Ron Miller, and maybe like, uh, George Julio or something like that. But that's about it, really. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree. The, the legacy of that is it sort of does come across in what's still um, available on tape. So from there, match number five, George Lackey versus Dominic Danucci, who is the IWA World's Heavyweight Champion, and it's a championship match. Um, so the IWA Championship is the champion that WCW Australia used for the later half of their existence, like a um, false governing body similar to in New Japan with the IWGP. Ah, very good. Uh, it stands for International Wrestling Alliance. Yeah. Danucci is in early control with several headlocks and appears to be a very technical working over the legs and arms during the match. Danucci hits an airplane spin later in the match for the pinfall win. Um, so this was in Danucci's second or third reign and both occurred after Ray Stevens were champion in... 1965. Uh, this went 1126. Do you have much to add on this match? Uh, yeah. Uh, had you heard of Dominic Danucci before this? Not a standout name, but like probably one of the names I've seen through this tape or maybe one of the other WCW Australia documentaries. So um, some fans might actually know Dominic Danucci most famously as being the man that trained Mick Foley and Shane Douglas how to wrestle. Really? Yeah, and he was also um, the inspiration for the character of Sal Bandini want to wrestle in the um, Ready to Rumble movie as well. They had a character loosely based on him as an old Italian man who taught people how to wrestle. <laughs> oh wow yeah so Dominic Danucci um, is actually talked about a lot in Mick Foley's first book uh, Have a Nice Day yeah obviously if you haven't read that book it is probably the best wrestling autobiography out there of all time um, New York's time bestseller yeah I think Bret Hart has a really good one out there and apparently the new JR one is also worth a look but yeah 
So AEW keeps telling me. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Mick Foley's autobiography, the first uh, of any notable wrestling autobiographies, and yeah, plenty of chapters in it are spent talking about Dominic DiNucci and his training and Shane Douglas also being trained by Dominic DiNucci and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's interesting to see... This is the first time I ever watched Dominic DiNucci wrestle, and he's got some skills, man. Would you say, like, this sort of technical style, if you're not familiar, is sort of like the modern equivalent would be like a Zack Sabre Jr.? Would you say that? Yeah. Where he's working over a lot of locks, uh, focusing on the legs and the arms a lot? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, Zack Sabre Jr.'s, your um there's a bit of Timothy Thatcher in there as well. Um, yeah, those sort of guys. Your Drew Gulak's, your Daniel Bryan's, but more so like a Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, because that's that's the sort of vibes I got from from this watching this like nearly fifty years later. Yeah. So from there we go on to the main event, a tag match, two out of three falls with forty five minute time limit. It's Killer Carl Cox and the spoiler with their manager Gary Hart in their corner versus Antonio Pellegrisi and Mario Milano. Have you seen any Mario Milano matches before this? I'd seen little bits here and there. Um, I'd seen some interviews with him. Like, you know, you sort of hear the name a bit. So every now and then I'd like go on YouTube and do a little research on him look him up a little bit. Obviously, Mario Milano for many years, probably the most successful Australian wrestler. Yeah, yeah, you'd have you'd have to agree with that, the most well-known Australian wrestler. Yeah, the face of Australian wrestling, definitely. Um, I think we are here, like, all these years later, and you could argue that now the face of Australian wrestling is a female in Rhea Ripley. Yeah. But, so this match, it was a slog. Yeah, yes. Um, so Cox and Mario start out before both teams make quick tags. Antonio and Mario begin to double-team. Mario has the leg lock applied on Cox for a long time before the spoiler breaks it up in the ring. A long time. <laughs> That leg lock went on forever, Antonio. Antonio and Mario are working over Cox's leg. Cox has Mario pinned, but Antonio breaks it up. The spoiler applies the iron claw, but Antonio breaks it. Antonio pins Cox for the first fall. After a short break, it's quick tags again from each team. Mario pulls away on the apron from Antonio as Antonio wanted to tag out. Antonio is running off the ropes and Mario low bridges Antonio and Antonio spills onto the outside and is counted out. Cox claims the second fall and it's now one apiece. A hurt Antonio is held backstage and ringside Mario says that he forfeits the match and Cox and the spoiler claim the victory in 22-14 film time. Anything really to add here, Alex? It was a slug, but... It was a very, it was a very long twenty-two minutes. Um, 
like the other matches, like there was nothing longer than maybe 15 minutes for the rest of the show. 22 minutes of this sort of style with 2020 eyes is is a bit tough, but it was cool to see things like the iron claw and stuff like that, like be used as legitimate moves. Oh, I love that stuff. So, yeah. And the crowd was definitely all the way live for that one. Yeah, yeah. And it's also like a, a piece of Australian wrestling history when Mario Milano turned hill for the first time. Yeah, definitely. Um, I never even knew that Mario had been a heel. Like, everything I'd heard about him was that he was like, yeah, the good guy or whatever. So, like, I'd definitely heard a lot about Mario Milano and his feud with Killer Carl Cox before. Like, that's the sort of stuff, like, like my pop would talk about back in the day and stuff like that. So, yeah, Mario, most of his time, was sort of the, the top Australian in the um, company. Multiple, multiple uh, title reigns with both versions of WCW's heavyweight championships. But, yeah, sort of here and when he um, drops off the apron and then low bridges Antonio, the crowd begin to turn on him for the first time and it's, it's sort of weird to see, especially for 2020 eyes, when you forget that it happens because <laughs> you're so used to hearing about this man being the, the big Australian face of of the promotion. Yeah, it, it caught me by surprise. Like, I'm legitimately getting shocked by a heel turn from, like, 50 years ago. Yeah, and then Jacko sort of closes it out saying, go and buy volume two and three now. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for the advice, Jacko, but no. Nah. But I'm sure we'll get around to reviewing them someday. Like, we kind of have to. So, anything else really to add before moving into positives and negatives? No, no, nothing much to add on that match. Um, Just quickly, Gary Hart is the manager, one of the most underrated managers of all time, Um most synonymous with the world-class championship wrestling promotion in Texas run by the Von Erics. He was sort of the manager for all the monster heels that would come in there from your Bruiser Brodies to your Missing Links to your Kamalas and all that sort of stuff. Gary Hart, one of yeah, definitely one of the most underrated managers of all time and it's cool to see him here on Australian soil. Positives. Danucci, I thought, was a like a real standout as someone who I'd, I had not seen before. Again, I made the um, the um, comparison for myself to a, a modern-day sort of Zack Sabre Jr. style, being very technical and working over the limbs in the map. Also, the seeing the Mario Hill turn, I know I've seen this tape before, but I forget it every time, and it's sort of that piece of Australian wrestling history that I forget about every time until... Bang, it happens. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree. Um, and then just the negative, there was way too much Jacko being Jacko on this tape. For for an hour, it's nearly 20 minutes of just Jacko being Jacko. He literally doesn't add anything. Like, he could, like, if you had someone to introduce each match, you could t- have someone talk about, like, why the match was taking place or, like, who these people were. 
Like, we're just he's thrown to matches and he's like telling names, but we have no idea who these people are. Like, and then just before the main event, he like challenges Dominic Danucci to a title match in the boxing ring, and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Overall, I. I did like this, so I gave it three beers. Yeah, um, I'll give it two and a half. Um, I don't know. Bit of a slog? Yeah, it was a bit of a slog for me. Um, Although there was a... I love the old school, like, commentary (laughs) sound of it all. Like, and he's got him in a headlock, it is. Got a... Oh, he's squeezing it down, and... I just love that, like, gravelly commentator voice back in those days. There's something about it. It's just really cool to me. It's better than, oh, my. What a manoeuvre. <laughs> and I quote, um, yeah, all that sort of stuff. It's a happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a rocket buster, Cole. Oh, jeez. So um, I actually enjoyed a lot of the old school commentary on this, uh, Loved seeing the crowd. Um, a lot of my enjoyment of it was slightly hindered because I watched it on my big television in the lounge room through YouTube, and the picture quality was so bad, especially for the um, black and white matches, that like I couldn't tell who had done the heel turn at first. I couldn't tell who was in the ring. Like, yeah, I couldn't tell it. Oh, did Mario just turn it? Was that Mario? Yeah, so... It's like watching it in potato vision. Yeah, it was just like really big pixels up on that screen. (laughs) You can see all eight pixels. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, that was a bit rough for me. I probably should have watched it on a smaller screen. It might have actually been easier to see. I should have just watched it on my phone or something. But, um, yeah, I, I still enjoyed a, a lot about this. Um, a highlight for me, honestly, was just all the pageantry and all the, um, yeah, all the pageantry of gorgeous George and getting to watch him for the first time, um, watching him spray his cologne and disinfect the ring. And they're like, oh, is that Chanel number five? Nah, ah. Oh. I I got myself a special like sneak peek of Chanel number ten. <laughs> oh jeez! So from there, do you want to discuss a little bit about the game show? I uh, yeah. What do you want to talk about? Okay, so I was thinking, like, how maybe like because you're WCW, you might want to do a. World War Three, let's say, and I might want to do a Royal Rumble being the WWF. Yes. If we don't have enough men, are we able to draft freelancers from the remaining draft picks of unpicked people? Like, so they're in, they do that match, and then they're gone. I, I will say under two, two provisions, right? Yeah. They obviously can't win. Yes. <laughs> and... I would say they can't be, like, Hall of Fame headliners. Okay. And the second part of the proposal I was going to say for the uh, game show, how you were saying I have 
uh, six women and you only have four, uh, if you're willing to propose a supplementary pick for yourself. Right. So I want to know if you're interested, would you like to take TNA Hall of Famer Gal Kim as your supplementary pick for the women? Oh, we're going to... Oh... Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'll take Gal Kim. Okay, well, there you are, folks. You've heard here first. The WCW, with their supplementary women's pick, drafts Gail Kim. Well, that's different. Yeah, okay, I might have to rewrite my show a little bit. Oh, you can introduce her later on down the line. Yeah, I think um, that of her coming in might actually help me prevent from burning away one of my big feuds on the roster within the first show. So it's good. Yeah, I, I would have taken Brie Bella. I was that desperate for another wrestler. Fair enough. And then, if you don't mind, we have creative control. So I was going to bump up my light heavyweight limit from, I think it's like 94. Five kilos up to like a hundred and something. I have it down in front of me somewhere. So recently, I was watching um, some Raws from nineteen ninety seven, and they were talking about introducing a light heavyweight division, which they eventually do later on in the year. They're like, yeah, all these young light heavyweights. In the 210 to 230 pound bracket, all high flying studs, and I'm like, 230? That's heavy. <laughs> like, but yeah, so I think you could probably go with that sort of bracket if you wanted to. Yeah, I think I had it down as 230 pounds because that's what the TNA X division was in a lot of my... I thought the TNA X division wasn't about weight limits. It was about no limits. When it did have one, um, because a lot of the people I have drafted, I've later realised, are heavier than 205. Yeah, I think that's fine. Um, that's a fair compensation for an additional <laughs> wrestler in Gal Kim. Uh, that's very fair. Honestly, I would have taken Tory Wilson. <laughs> But yeah, Gal Kim, there we go. Now we're going to have to have a little look at the TNA Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't think there's that many on there that haven't been put in the WWE Hall of Fame. But um... Abyss, Gal Kim, uh, and Ken Shamrock. Yeah, so if we're going by the rules that the 2020 class of the WWE Hall of Fame counts, then... That would mean that Ken Shamrock counts for the TNA Hall of Fame because I don't think he got his proper induction yet. But um, yeah, there's a couple of interesting choices there, actually. And then lastly, on the game show front, I was just going to let you know because you have WCW and there is a sort of spiritual successor to WCW. I'm just going to be using the WWF's intellectual property. But if you want, you can use WCW and TNA's intellectual property. I guess so, yeah. Um, 
maybe I might chuck in an X Division title. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I probably won't. Um, I, I'm still going to go very WCW with this one, except Gal Kim will be there. <laughs> she might be the, um, the sore thumb sticking out on that roster, but I'll work that in. So just to recap, Alex and WCW has drafted Gal Kim. We are allowed to use additional wrestlers for multi-people matches like a World War Three or a Royal Rumble, provided, one, they do not win, and two, they are not a headliner of that class. Yeah, like, like I, I don't know um, if there's even any headliners left up there, but, like, I would think it would be kind of just a waste in general to, like, bring in, like, say, uh, oh, who haven't we drafted? Like a Batista or something, just bring him in for one spot in a rumble and get eliminated and lose. Like, more so I just don't want that to happen just because it would be a waste. Yeah, and then he shows up in the next week on when we do the redraft. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's all for this episode. Um, unless you have anything else to add, Alex? Uh, I really don't. Um, yeah, it was interesting to go back and watch that. Way too much Jacko. But I can move on and be like the rest of Australia and forget Jacko ever existed. So next time we'll be looking at the WWE documentary, The Rise and Fall of ECW from 2004. And have you watched it yet? Just got to re-watch a little bit of it just to finalise my notes. Very good. Um, yeah, I finished watching it this morning and I'm now currently about, in terms of our reviews, I'm about three episodes ahead now. So, and I, I'm already working on my picks for the reviews. I've already shared one horrible choice with you. Yes, yes, we'll have to have to let the humans know in a, in a couple of shows time, I think. TNA, TNA. But yeah, this was a lot of fun. Chat WCW Australia and a bit of TNA. Um, I guess we'll chat to you next time. I might have watched the horror show by then to tie into ECW, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah, everyone... Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Fruity is Alex and all that sort of good stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at I am Chris Funder. You can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at WrestleOzStyle or just search Wrestling Ozstyle. We're also available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Podbean for your listening convenience. And if anyone knows how to help us get onto iTunes, please <laughs> shout out. We're having some, we're having some uh, technical difficulties trying to figure that one out. Yes, sadly. But I think that's all for the show. We'll see the humans next time. Excellent. Toodaloo, humans. Remember, King Kong Bundy.